At a time when unusual, outlandish characters were at their peak in the WWF, Papa Shango stood out as one of the oddest creations in wrestling history. While Shango initially struck fear into the hearts of wrestling fans, it wasn't long before he became a laughing stock. In total, Papa Shango lasted just a year and a half on the WWF roster. The Federation had introduced spooky characters before, and the idea behind this one was pretty good, so why didn't it work back in 1992? In this video, we're taking a look at the story of Papa Shango, as we try and find out why he didn't connect with fans at the time. The WWF exploded in popularity during the 1980s, with the huge success of Hulkamania, Vince McMahon struck gold. Hulk Hogan was a superhero, not just a wrestler, and McMahon's vision for pro wrestling wasn't as a sport, but as entertainment. By 1989, McMahon saw an opportunity to dodge some taxes and a whole heap of state regulations. All he had to do was admit that wrestling was predetermined. And so, the WWF testified that pro wrestling was a performance rather than a real sport, and therefore no longer had to be regulated by athletic state commissions, and he could pay less tax. The courts granted this right to him, and free from the shackles of kayfabe, Vince McMahon could present wrestling as the living cartoon that he'd always wanted to. But let's not get it twisted, McMahon had already been pushing the boundaries of believability with his cast of characters, the likes of the Honky Tonk Man, George the Animal Steel, Kamala and Brutus Beefcake weren't exactly being presented as hardened street fighters. And yet, as the 90s dawned, McMahon started producing even more outlandish gimmicks. Characters that just would never exist in real life, but perhaps the most outlandish character they introduced was The Undertaker. On paper, it was a gimmick that should never have worked at all. Even by the standards of the time, The Undertaker was damn weird. From the moment he made his pay-per-view debut at the Survivor Series in 1990, there were some questions. The question of whether he was an actual Undertaker or a zombie being the main one. But somehow The Undertaker got over with the fans as a real threat to the faces on the roster at the time. And that was largely thanks to Mark Calloway's presence and devotion to the character. And The Undertaker's push was rapid. At the 1991 Survivor Series, he beat Hulk Hogan to win his first WWF Championship. It was an incredible first year for the dead man, and Vince McMahon couldn't have been happier. At a time when he desperately needed new main event heels, he'd produced an outlandish gimmick that actually worked. You can't blame him for wanting to replicate that success using the same template. And that's where Charles Wright came in. Wright was originally a bartender, but he got spotted by a bunch of wrestlers who were drinking at his bar, and they saw how jacked he was. At six and a half feet tall, he was also hugely muscular. Those wrestlers suggested that he sign up with Larry Sharp's Monster Factory and have a try at breaking into the wrestling business. 
The Monster Factory had a reputation for quickly turning out excellent big man wrestlers. The likes of Bam Bam Bigelow and Tony Atlas had already trained there. And Wright was no different. They got him a job with the USWA while he was still training. It was there that he took on the persona of the Soul Taker. Wright picked wrestling up incredibly quickly and showed a lot of charisma early on. You only have to watch his early matches back to see that. During his time in the USWA, Wright was given the ball to run with from very early on. He beat Jerry Lawler for the unified world heavyweight title, and he wrestled against stars like Dustin Rhodes, Kerry Von Erich, and the Junkyard Dog. During his time in the USWA, Wright tag-teamed with Mark Calloway, just a year or so away from his debut as The Undertaker. That connection would prove to be a godsend for Charles Wright because Calloway soon suggested him to Vince McMahon. And so Sir Charles had his first WWF match at the This Tuesday in Texas pay-per-view in December 1991. It was only a dark match, but McMahon was immediately impressed by what he saw. He tested Sir Charles out on live events going forward but McMahon felt there was something not quite right. McMahon told Wright that he had the body of a monster, but the face of a baby. Luckily, McMahon wasn't done with him just yet. He told Wright to go home with full pay and wait while they tried to come up with a new gimmick for him. A few weeks later and Wright got the call. The instruction was to go rent the movie Live and Let Die. His new character was inspired by Baron Samedi, the voodoo villain from the Bond movie. He ended up going even further than that when researching this new character. He travelled down to New Orleans and spent time with real voodoo practitioners to try and get an understanding of the character. In an interview, he said, I needed the background. I just wanted to learn and be as authentic as I could. I'm a country boy at heart, chewing tobacco, listening to country music. Portraying Papa Shango was a stretch, but I did the best I could. And so, on the February the 8th, 1992 episode of Superstars, Papa Shango made his debut, where he beat jobber Dale Wolf. It was a good start. The character was mysterious and intriguing, and Vince McMahon's commentary was effective in explaining what he was all about. The gimmick was at the wilder end of the spectrum, but there were a lot of weird and wonderful characters on the roster at the time, so it didn't really stand out that much. Any of us who were kids watching at the time would attest to just how scary the character of Papa Shango truly was. Once he'd taken off the coat and hat and the bell rang, Shango was also an impressive monster as he dismantled jobber after jobber during his first few months in the Federation. McMahon was happy with the performance too, and he had some big things planned for the Voodoo Master. The original finish for the main event between Hogan and Sid at WrestleMania 8 was for Shango to run in and cause a disqualification. Unfortunately, due to a mistimed entrance, Shango missed his cue, leading to an improvised finish with Harvey Whippleman, Sid's manager, intervening instead. Then, Shango and Sid attacked Hogan, causing the Ultimate Warrior to come out to try and save the day. The Ultimate Warrior was supposed to feud with Sid next, 
However, Sid ended up leaving the company, and so it made sense for Shango to slot into that feud instead. Apart from the mishap in the main event of that WrestleMania match, it had been a really strong start for Papa Shango, and apparently everyone, including Hogan, was on board for him to be solidified as a main event heel going forward. A feud with the Ultimate Warrior should have put Shango on that road to superstardom, but it actually ended up hurting him beyond repair. On the May 16th, 1992 episode of Superstars, a bizarre segment unfolded where Shango enacted a curse on the Warrior following his match. Shango ominously approached the ringside area, leading to the Warrior suddenly collapsing, clutching his stomach in agony. The segment escalated backstage, where Warrior convulsed and vomited everywhere. While this may have been a terrifying prospect for all the kids in the audience, it was a real stretch for the adults to suspend their disbelief during this kind of nonsense. It was one of those moments that went down in wrestling history for all of the wrong reasons. Oh, unfortunately. This is unfortunate. But they didn't let up in the subsequent weeks. Who can forget the episode where Shango made a black substance ooze from the warrior's forehead, for example. Of course, the warrior oversold the whole thing, which made the angle look like trash. Later, Shango lit a jobber on fire, and then he made black stuff come out of Mean Gene's sleeve. Unfortunately, rather than being impressive or shocking or scary, these tricks just started to feel really lame and boring. The fans were not buying into this gimmick at all. Just like always, Vince McMahon had no idea how to present a nuanced, carefully constructed character. He'd have exactly the same problem 25 years later when producing the character of Bray Wyatt. But the feud between the Ultimate Warrior and Papa Shango could have been salvaged. A payoff match would have still been appreciated after all of these shenanigans. The men repeatedly, routinely faced each other on the house show circuit, but on TV, Shango was back to wrestling jobbers. The Warrior, on the other hand, challenged Randy Savage for the WWF title at SummerSlam in 1992, and then he was released from his contract in November. No doubt, the damage was done to the Papa Shango character, which was no fault of Charles Wright, by the way, he threw himself into the gimmick with all of his might and did his best with it. On the 27th of October, Shango got a televised WWF title match against the Hitman in what was a decent contest, but the fans just had no interest in Papa Shango by this point. Shango's appearances on TV became more and more sparse as the months progressed. On house shows, he was losing to the likes of Crush and Tatonka, so the writing was on the wall. McMahon eventually gave up on the gimmick at the end of 1993. Thankfully, this wouldn't be the end of Charles Wright's WWF career. He eventually got a call back in 1995, where he returned to portray the character of Karma. At one point in 1997, the WWF seriously considered a return for the Papishango gimmick, but they quickly came to their senses and decided otherwise. If they had gone down that route, then who knows, we might never have had the Godfather. 
that was a gimmick that suited the strip club owning Mr. Right far better than the voodoo papa. It could have been a decent gimmick, but they just went too hard with the supernatural stuff. Unlike with The Undertaker, the fans just weren't buying what Papa Shango was selling. <laughs> 